James chapter 3 is where we'll be this morning. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 3. We're living with the tongue this morning. And uh, if you want to go ahead and groan and sigh because you know uh, you need this as much as I do, go ahead. I'm, it's okay. Um, by the way, did anybody wear steel toe boots this morning? Okay, sorry. I apologize in advance. James chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12 this morning. Stand with me as we read James 3 verses 1 through 12. This is God's word, and if you let it, it will change your life. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Pray with me. Father, I pray this morning the words of the psalmist that the words of our heart, of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in your sight. Father, use this time to shape us by your word that we may live our faith especially when it comes to the tongue. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Be seated. You know, um, he starts this passage talking about teachers. And sometimes when a, when, a, when a biblical author does this, it's easy to look at the very first line and say, oh, well, this doesn't apply to me, and kind of skip on through. Uh, but what he's saying applies to a lot more than teachers. It's just that teachers, uh, uh, in particular, are, are graded on a certain level that, that a normal person wouldn't be graded on. And that's a good thing in a lot of ways, right? Because teachers are people with authority. And whenever you have someone with authority, they ought to be subject to a little bit more scrutiny. you got to make sure the leaders are right, okay? And so he says, not all of you should be teachers because some of you can't cut it especially in the area of the tongue. Now, raise your hand. Who's figured out the tongue? Okay. Yeah. Good. Thank you. I, I was going to have to preach online if somebody raised their hand, but we all know the tongue is, it's a, it's a tricky thing, isn't it? In fact, uh, James even tells us, you know what? We all struggle with our tongues. <laughs> We all struggle with our tongues. This morning, what we're going to do, uh, just to kind of side note the, the structure of the message, James gives us two logical premises, two statements of fact. 
And so we're going to look at both of those statements of fact, and then we're going to have to do a little bit of detective work, put them together, and come up with the conclusion that we need. Because sometimes uh, uh, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Sometimes we need to actually drink of the word ourselves and, and, and bring it into us, which really leads perfectly into tonight, because that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about taking the Bible into ourselves. We're going to be talking about that Bible intake tonight. But for now, for the morning, what we're going to do is start with two premises, two statements that are true, and then we're going to bring a conclusion from those, okay? All right, and the first one is that we all struggle with our tongues. Now, I don't think I have to prove this very much, but let's go with it. James 3, verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. This word sometimes means complete, sometimes means mature, not lacking anything, fully developed. Sometimes it means perfect as in without blemish or spot. If you can manage the tongue, if you don't stumble in what you say, you got it going on. Unfortunately, we all struggle with it, don't we? He is a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. You see, the struggle with our tongue is very, very real. He goes down in verse 6 and says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Boy, this, this tongue thing sounds great, doesn't it? <laughs> Man, this is a world of trouble. He continues, every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Now that would lead someone to say, wait a minute. If no human being can tame the tongue, how are we going to tame the tongue? How can we be in control of this tongue thing? How can you expect us to live a life in control of the things we say if we can't tame the tongue? And to that, I would answer, go to the zoo. Yeah, let's go to the zoo for a moment. The zoo used to have, uh, now it's got a nice alligator area in Montgomery. Um, the Montgomery Zoo has this this nice display case that you can't really see through the glass because it's all it's got all kinds of mold and stuff on it you know just things that happen uh mildew and that kind of stuff they try to keep it clean but you know it just doesn't work very well but before they used to have the alligator in this fenced in area and they had two fences now if you walk around the zoo you'll probably meet one of the peacocks peacock likes to strut around and he'll strut around the train station area it's usually where i see him Sometimes he's in that open area when you first walk in, you know, that where they put the Christmas tree at Christmas time, that kind of area. Sometimes he's over by the trains and he's just strutting around and he's flying up his feathers. And that thing might go and bite some kid one day and, and, and terrify a kid for the rest of his life, but not incredibly dangerous. Small amount of danger there. But they don't let the alligators walk around. Why not? Because they're not tamed. Those alligators are wild and they are dangerous. So they keep them in an enclosed area. Now, you can control the alligators by putting them within certain boundaries, within certain fencing, and within certain areas where they can't get out and hurt anybody. You can control them even though they're not tame. I'm going to make an argument to you today that we are not called to tame the tongue. We are called to control the tongue. And interestingly enough, what we find is that God 
can tame the tongue. This first thing we say that all of us struggle with our tongues, I don't think I need to really prove it. Uh, uh, raise your hand if you could think of a time you said something you shouldn't have said. Yeah, yeah, thousands, tens of thousands. If you're a married man, your wife is raising her hand because, yeah, you, you, you really don't know how to control your tongue. My wife is. She's like, yep, yep. Sometimes we say things we shouldn't say. Sometimes we say them in the wrong way. Maybe it's something that needs to be said, but we're bullying a china shop style and we're just running over people instead of saying it the right kind of way. I are one. That's me. Sometimes we let things slip that we know we shouldn't say, but we want to say them anyway. We all struggle with the tongue. I think, I think that one's pretty well proven. If you were doing a logical argument, that would be what you'd call the major premise because pretty much everybody knows that's true. You don't need much proof on it. Let's go to the second premise then. Because this is really the bulk of the time uh, uh, that James spends. Well, actually, before we do that, let me tell you another story. We went to the zoo. Now let's go to the pitcher's mound. Greg Harris was a uh, not a terrific pitcher. Played for years with the with the Boston Red Sox, ended up playing for the Montreal Expos at the end of his career. He only had a record of 74-90, 54 saves, ERA of 3.69. Not Hall of Fame numbers, but he did make the Hall of Fame. Well, mainly because of his glove. Uh, what made Harris unique, what, what really got him, or his glove, into the Hall of Fame wasn't so much his performance as how he did a certain performance. It all happened on September 28, 1995. It was his next to the last game that he would play in the majors. His Montreal Expos were down 9-3 to going into the top of the ninth. And so they called to the bullpen and had Greg Harris come up on the mound to try to stop the Reds from scoring and give them a chance to win in the bottom of the ninth. Well, he pitched a scoreless ninth inning. The Expos lost, but it's how he pitched that mattered. You see, when that first batter came up, Harris, right-handed pitcher, pitched just like normal, struck him out. When the next batter came up, though, Harris did something that he had not done in the major leagues. He had done it in the minors. He had done it, practiced it before in the offseason, but he had never done it in the major leagues, partly because the Boston Red Sox that he was with for so many years wouldn't let him. He switched hands. You see, he had a glove that had six finger holes. Two of them were thumbs on either side. And the mitt in the middle was made so that whichever hand he wore it on, it would fit. Specially made glove. It's in Cooperstown now. You can go see it as soon as the sermon's over. You got you to gotta listen to the rest of the sermon first. All right? He switched to left-handed. He pitched to the next two batters left-handed. One got on base, got the first. The other one grounded out. Then the fourth batter came up, he switched back to right-handed, forced that one to ground out, and pitched a scoreless ninth inning. Greg Harris pitched with both hands in the same inning. Expo's still lost. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? I mean, he's just the picture, right? And this was the National League, so he, did, he, he, he wasn't a hitter, so <laughs> that wasn't his fault. So why bring up a baseball pitcher in a sermon about the tongue? What does that have to do with anything? Well... Greg Harris was ambidextrous. He could pitch right-handed or left-handed. The tongue is a switch pitcher, too. You see, out of one side of the mouth, it can sing melodies of praise and sweet-sounding words. 
and then turn to the other side and produce vile curses and nasty put-downs. James says it this way in verses 9 to 12. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Do you see the contrast there? He says in verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. You shouldn't be able to use the same tongue to bless God and then curse someone made in His image. That's not right. He gives more examples from nature. Uh, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening fresh and salt water? You can have a pool in your yard. It's either going to be a freshwater pool or a saltwater pool. You can't have both at the same time. Same pool can't be both. You can have an aquarium, salt water or fresh water, but you can't have one aquarium be both. It just doesn't happen that way, does it? Fig tree. Can a fig tree, he says, my brothers, bear olives? You ever walk up to a fig tree and, and pluck the olives off to eat them? No. It's a fig. Can a grapevine produce figs? No. It's a grapevine. These things don't happen. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water, and I would say neither should the same tongue be able to speak both blessing and cursing. So how is the tongue so flippy-floppy? How, (laughs) I know that's a scientific term there. How can the tongue be so dramatically different one after the other? How can you go from blessing to cursing or cursing to blessing like that with the same mouth? Well, look back in, in verse three. I know I'm chopping up the text here, but but I want you to see how this develops here. Uh, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we got their whole bodies as well. All right? So you put a bit in the mouth of a horse, you can tell that horse where to go, and he will follow you. Right? Okay? Let's look at another example. Verse 4, look at the ships also. They are so large that they are driven by by strong winds, and they are guided... Or excuse me, they are, though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Sorry, y'all. Notice the connections. The bit controls the horse. Who controls the bit? The rider. The rudder controls the ship. Who controls the rudder? The pilot. Captain, if you will. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The tongue controls the body. But what controls the tongue? The heart controls the tongue. Whether the heart is good or evil will determine whether the tongue speaks good or evil. In the days of the Cold War, the Resolute Desk had a phone on it. Red phone, if I remember correctly. That phone was an interesting phone. You couldn't use it to check on grandma or or call for a pizza delivery. That phone only went to one location. There was another phone sitting on the desk of the Soviet premier in Kremlin, in the Kremlin. It had a direct connection between Washington, D.C. and Moscow. So that if, if something was happening, if, if we're on the verge of World War III and total annihilation, the president can pick up a phone, talk to the Soviet premier, and try to work something out before it all goes downhill fast. Or the Soviet premier could pick up his phone and call Washington, D.C. and try to negotiate before it all goes to smithereens. There was no third-party destination, no intermediary. It was a direct connection. I'm going to argue to you today that the heart has a direct connection with the tongue. The heart and the tongue are directly connected. There's nothing that comes from the tongue that does not first come from the heart. 
And vice versa, there's nothing hidden in the heart that does not eventually find its way out through the tongue. The heart controls the tongue. And it can control the tongue for evil. The heart can control the tongue for evil. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 9 gives a good example of this. The prophet is speaking the words of God. God is condemning his people. He calls every brother and every neighbor deceitful. He says that they all lie that they all slander, no one speaks the truth at all, and then they heap oppression upon oppression and deceit upon deceit. Then in verse 8 of Jeremiah 9, he says, their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully. With his mouth, each speaks peace to his neighbor, but in his heart, he plans an ambush for him. Now that kind of behavior isn't overlooked. The very next verse, God says, I have to punish them for this. I can't, I can't just ignore this. I have to punish this sin. But notice the connection here. The connection between the heart and the tongue. They are deceptive, these people, so they speak deceit. Earlier, God says that through the prophet that they have taught their tongue to speak lies. The heart controls the tongue. Now notice, it's not the other way around. It's not the tongue controlling the heart. Sometimes we think of the tongue as like a runaway train. Like, like, um, they, it, like you've got an engine and you've got a train car and they get decoupled. And, and the engine goes one way and the train car goes another way. And like the tongue just kind of shoots off on its own path and we have to rein it in. The truth of the matter is that we are in perfect control of our tongue every moment of every day. Not tamed because the heart has a direct connection to the tongue. The things we say are lying in our heart first. We'll, we'll, we'll see this more in just a second, but, but just note that it's the heart controlling the tongue. They teach their tongue to speak lies. It, they are deceitful in their hearts. They plan an ambush for him in the heart. And then that's why they speak deceitfully. That's why they say peace, peace, when there is no peace. We all struggle with our tongues. And the heart controls the tongue. Now, it can also control the tongue for good. Not just for evil, but for good. Uh, Proverbs 16, 23 gives this beautifully. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. You can almost taste the sweetness that comes in this verse. It's almost, it's almost, like, it's almost like, well, you catch more flies with honey, right? It's exactly what this is saying. This wise person in the Proverbs is good. He is righteous. He's honoring to God. And so you can read any of those into this verse and it still means the same thing. The heart of the good man, the heart of the righteous man, the heart of, of, of the man who is honoring God is going to make his speech align with what is in his heart. So since he is righteous, he speaks judiciously. Since he is good, he speaks goodly. <laughs> I'm making up words today. Just, he speaks persuasively. The heart controls the tongue. And we all struggle with our tongues. Okay? So we've got the two, we've got the two premises. Now it's time to put them together. So if we all struggle with our tongues, and if the heart controls the tongue, we can conclude that we must deal with the heart to deal with the tongue. In other words, it's not a tongue problem we have. It's a heart problem that we have. James doesn't specifically deal with a check. He doesn't give us a checklist of how to make your tongue line up with your faith. 
That's not what he's interested in. But I can hear in the back, in the back of his mind, he is hyperlinking us. He is, he is wanting us to recall the words of his brother, of Jesus Christ. Uh, Matthew chapter 15. The Pharisees are mad at Jesus because his disciples won't do the ritualistic washing of hands that their law requires. Not the law that God gave, but the law that the Pharisees made up. Now, is it good to have some guidance on how to follow God's word? Yes. But when that guidance becomes on top of the law of God as though it's a greater law than what God has given, that's not good. And that's what had happened here. They, they had this ritualistic way of washing their hands that had nothing to do with actual cleaning junk and mess off your hands. It had everything to do with a ritualistic purity that was never, never to take the place of what God had actually commanded. And so they're mad at him. They're saying, why don't your disciples uh, wash their hands before they eat? Jesus says in Matthew 15, 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. You see, it's not what's going into the man that defiles him. It's what's coming out. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from where? The heart. This is why I say our tongue is completely in control. Because our heart is bad, our tongue is bad. What comes out is just a matter of what is already in in the first place. So when you blurt out that thing you shouldn't have said, that's mean, that's caustic, that's angry, it's because you're angry, you're caustic, you're mean. It's not because, it's not because something uh, came in and, and stole your words away and put in bad words in its place. No, no those, came, those things came out of your heart. It, it's what comes out of the heart proceeds from the mouth. That's what's defiling him, Jesus is saying. For out of the heart come what? Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These things are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. You're worried about the wrong things. The things that really defile are the things in your hearts. That's not the only time Jesus makes this observation, though. In Luke chapter 6, he's talking about judging a tree by its fruit. It's Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount. A good tree can't bear bad fruit. A bad tree can't bear good fruit. Then he says in verse 45, he applies it to people. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, speaks. What's in there comes out. The heart controls the tongue. So if the tongue's speaking good, real good, not just deceitful good, not just sounds good, but it's really not true. I'm talking about like actual good here. Then the heart is good. If the tongue is speaking evil, the heart's evil. Paul sees the connection too. He looks at salvation and he says, wait a minute, these heart and, and mouthing, they're connected. He says in verse 9 that, that it is with the mouth Confession is made to salvation. That, that, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then he says in verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now some people will say, well, does that mean I have to walk an aisle in order to be saved? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if your heart believes, your mouth will confess. The two go hand in hand. It's faith. And works. And they go perfectly together. This isn't a faith that's just believe only in your head. Believe only in your heart. 
That, that's just an assent, that's just an agreement with a principle and that's it? This kind of faith believes and is justified and the works demonstrate that. Maybe, maybe that's why David prays in Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. The Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Yes, I know it says acceptable on the screen. I memorized it in a different version, okay? Same point. And my heart and my mouth both be pleasing to you. You see, the heart and the mouth are directly connected. The heart controls the mouth. And so if you're struggling with what you say, you're not just struggling with what you say. It's like having a brain tumor that causes a headache. You're not struggling from a headache. You're struggling from a brain tumor. The problem, the problem is something deeper than just the, the symptom that you're experiencing. The things you say that are wrong are a symptom of a bad heart. So the question is, what do your words say about your heart? Do the words of your mouth give you away as having a bad heart? Or do they demonstrate that you have a heart that has been molded by God and formed into his image. Now, none of us are perfect, but you can, you really want to see who someone is, just watch them for a while and you'll see it. You'll hear it from their own words. This is the point where we start talking about invitation and we start saying, what is God trying to do in you? Let me give you a, just, just a couple of scenarios. If you're the one who has said with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, but it's deceit. Well, then the, the place you got to start is, is in the heart. God says, they praise me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He's not fooled by that. And if you're honest, you're probably not fooled by that either. You know the game you're playing. It's time. It's time to give your heart to Christ. It's time to fully trust him. Genuine faith. Faith that not only believes, but faith that works on that belief. Faith that not only agrees, but trusts. Puts all of its confidence in the saving work of Jesus Christ. That might be you. That's where you are. It might not be you. You might have been a Christian for longer than I've been alive. I feel like I've been a Christian longer than I've been alive. I got saved when I was nine. I mean... And, and I, it wasn't like I was a terrible kid either. But even today, I recognize that I have problems with this. I need help with my tongue. Because there are bad things in my heart that come out of my lips. And so maybe you're in a boat like me, and you realize, hey, wait a minute. I love Jesus. I'm following him. But man, I could use some help in this area. Would you ask him? Would you ask him to shine his light on your heart to reveal those areas where you are weak and to change your heart, to soften the hardness that has developed, that calcified area that you just hold on to grudges or that spot where, where you just can't let go of this because it feels so good or because, because it's something that you just don't know what to do other than that or, or you only that addiction that you have or whatever it is, would, would, you, would you ask him to break apart that hardness and to soften you, to mold you, 
more and more like him. Maybe you are that perfect man that can control everything he says. Can you give the rest of us some tips? For the rest of us, we all need some help, don't we? So this morning, let's ask God to delve the depths of our hearts to reveal what is wrong in us that we may be shaped into his image. Pray with me. Father, the tongue is a... Well, James said it's, it's full of deadly poison, but the tongue has great potential, potential to bring you honor and praise, potential to lift up other people, potential to be your light in a dark world. And it's through that confession of the mouth that, that others hear about you, that others come to know you, that others can experience who you are. So, Father, we pray that you would put your spot on the heart just, just touch your finger right on the sore spot and say it's right here. For some of us, maybe it's multiple spots. For some of us, maybe it's one big area. For some of us, you just need to break through the rock that is our heart and just replace the whole thing. Father, wherever we are, would you deal with our heart problems so that we may deal with the tone symptoms? This is your time. You do your work in us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.